Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Welcome to the Supporting Sobriety Podcast, dedicated to the unsung heroes behind those struggling with addiction, their friends and family like you. We'll share insights, stories, and resources to help you support your loved ones and care for yourself on the recovery journey. I had a job, and in that job, I ended up in treatment because of the Americans with Disabilities Act. They couldn't fire me. But when I came back to work after 30 days, nothing was the same. The tone of the building had changed. Everybody's perception of me had changed. Even though I was clean, my coworkers, my boss, everybody in the building kind of tiptoed around me. Nobody seemed to care or even understand that I was struggling with the disease of addiction. Instead, I overheard people using the words junkie and talking about how they should keep me away from certain parts of the building in case I relapsed and stole stuff and sold it for drugs. It hurt to hear them stigmatize my disease, my recovery, my life. They knew nothing about my addiction. What I really needed was a little bit of empathy, some kindness. I wasn't a bad person. I wasn't out to steal anything or screw anybody over. My name is Ryan Hedrick, and I work in Indianapolis. I'm a radio broadcaster. I have long-term recovery, and now it's my mission to help you help your loved ones recover from the disease of addiction. I really have asked it the first time I went to rehab. It was like 12 days, and I was out. And that was my plan, of course. I dried out. With another plan that I'd moderate my drinking, and of course that didn't work out. I bought two bottles of wine on the way home. So one of my close friends, who had also been to the same hospital and has the same affliction, which is alcoholism, I called him. I was all excited, and I'm sure I was half of the bag. I'm lying. I'm saying I'm sober. And then I say, all sarcastic, talking about my rehab experience. I'm all self-righteous. It's so embarrassing. I say, yeah. And I think I got the number of a really good heroin dealer, too. You see, because, you know, I'm an alcoholic, and alcoholics at least aren't doing drugs, and alcoholics are better somehow. I, it's embarrassing for me to talk about, and I believed that stigma, that alcoholics aren't as bad as drug addicts, and it hindered my recovery, that kind of hubris. My name is Matt Bear. I'm a recovering alcoholic who had a lot to learn and still does. This is the Supporting Sobriety Podcast. Three ways that we can avoid stigmatizing. Number one, understanding the conversation has evolved. Number two, choosing better words. And number three, embracing a fresh outlook. Now, let's dig in. Number one, understanding the conversation has evolved. When the crack epidemic struck in the 1980s, I was living in Los Angeles and the crack epidemic was that was ground zero for crack. And I can remember my mom turning on the news. It dominated the headlines every night. 
And she would turn to me and point her finger at me and tell me, you never want to become like those people. And what she was talking about was the way the disease was depicted in the media. You had B-roll footage of people smoking crack in the alleys. You had footage of women and men walking in the streets, selling themselves for a drug. In general, Matt, I'm talking about desperation. It had become synonymous with drug use, right? And that was the public perception for a long time. Little did I realize, it's funny how perception becomes reality. Fast forward to a decade after, and I started using, and I had to hide my drug usage from my mom for a long time, because not only did I not want her to be pissed at me when she found out her once adorable little boy was destroying his life with drugs and alcohol... But I didn't want to let her down because she warned me never to become like those people. If the conversation hadn't evolved, I mean, people wouldn't see us as human beings. You yeah. Know? And we'd still be, uh, I, I'd be dead, probably. And well, the, the conversation had to evolve, man. Yeah. And thank God the conversation did evolve because as the conversation became more prevalent and as people became more understanding... I think the addict and the alcoholic got a little bit of a break, right? Yeah, they did. And I mean, I remember I was part of this whole problem in my 20s. I remember getting my haircut by, you know, everybody went to the same person where I worked and her father was an alcoholic and she's telling me the story one day. And I remember she's she's really emotional about it. Of course she is. It's her dad. She can't get him to stop drinking, can't get him into recovery. And I, I say like I know something. Well, why can't he just stop? You know, and that's that's not how it works. And I think that's I, I think it's common knowledge, almost household knowledge now that if you're addicted to drugs, alcohol, I mean, they're all drugs. But if you're addicted to either or you just can't put it down yeah. and, and for the conversation to evolve that way, it's really going to help de- defeat that stigma and get so many more people into recovery. One thing that wasn't around w- when I began using was social media. Yeah. You know, because that really shapes perception now. When my mom looks at me and she sees what recovery has done for me, not what the drugs have done to me, but what recovery has done for me, improve my mental, physical, and spiritual being, I think she has a better understanding of the reality. But because of the work that a lot of people that came before us, our, our predecessors have done to raise awareness and educate people about how addiction manifested in, in different parts of your life and in different ways, I think the conversation has not only evolved, but will continue to evolve. Well, think about what you said here a few minutes ago, you know, in the crack epidemic in L.A. I mean, when people thought of drug users, that's all they thought about. Yep. They thought about They used the words uh, crackhead and all the words for addict. But then all of a sudden the opiate crisis came along and now you have elderly people, not just kids on the streets mm-hmm. anymore using drugs. You have elderly people addicted to Oxycontin, hydrocodone, morphine, you name it. And then all of a sudden it's somebody's mom and dad. And then all of a sudden it starts to get normalized. I don't want addiction on anybody, but maybe that had to happen for people to start talking about this honestly a little bit because those are addictions. Those are drugs. And just because you get a prescription doesn't mean it's any less lethal. Yeah, there is a a great term in the rooms of recovery, and it includes dirty needles, street crime, and jail. As long as we don't think about those things, if we're not in in 
that part, if if we're not injecting ourselves or being incarcerated for using drugs, we don't have a problem. But we know now that the conversation has evolved, that that's not true. Number two, choose better words. Ryan, have you ever been called a name before? Yeah, actually related to my addiction, and uh, it, it didn't feel good. I'm going to throw some words at you here, sure. okay? And um, you just got to tell me how you react or how you would react to them. Okay. okay. Ryan, you're a junkie. Uh, yeah, I've been called junkie plenty of times. Yeah, yeah. I And I've reacted mm. uh, indifferent to it because I was so high. And, you know, <laughs> it was right. at a point in my addiction where... I didn't care because it had progressed so much that if you called me a junkie, I was just going to get more drugs to justify your position that I was a junkie. Were you ever called a crackhead? Yeah. So the first time I was called a crackhead, um, I was so angry. I remember it like it was yesterday. I was in an apartment that I wasn't paying for. I think we were like three months behind in rent. Of course. And I was arguing with my girlfriend at the time about money. Now, in full disclosure, Matt... I had taken some, if not all, of her money that she was going to use to get her hair done, and I bought drugs the night before, so when she woke up, she was flat broke. Did that piss her off? Oh, okay. yeah, yeah. It, she wanted to kill me. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> You're a little angry about that. Yeah, right? so I remember we were arguing, and she got really close to me, and she said, You're nothing but a crackhead. Mm. And, you know, at first I was shocked, because... <laughs> She smoked crack too. But then I realized <laughs> right. we're laughing about this because we laugh at ourselves. Yeah. Bit, and you know, and, you know laughing, there's a lot of pain associated with those memories. But, you know, I realized despite her reality that she was a drug user too, we never looked at each other as being sick and suffering, right? She viewed me as one of those people that my mom warned me about. What's the difference between somebody, a stranger calling you a crackhead and somebody you loved? Do you feel differently about it? I oh, mean, yeah. They, obviously, a more visceral reaction from your girlfriend, maybe. Yeah, because I could defend my reality against a stranger calling me anything. Like, I could vehemently deny it. I could go run and hide. I don't have to see that stranger ever again if they insult me or hurt me. If it's somebody you love or somebody that lives with you, then the reality must be setting in that I'm really a crackhead, right? Because yeah. that's what you label me as. And it was extremely hurtful because I think I had been called crackhead before, but when she said that that day, that really stung. That was so crushing, I can imagine. Uh, anybody call you a burnout? No, because okay. I associated, and we're talking about stigmas, right? I associate burnout with, with pothead. Sure. And, you know, back in the day, I still laugh. I don't laugh, but people look at other people that have marijuana problems as people not having that bad of a drug problem because we stigmatize people. So burnout, yeah, but it was almost like a, a backhanded compliment. Okay, uh, what about, because I, I want to know this because we are in such a state of denial in our addiction. I mean, what if somebody said, and just, just casually, right, you're an addict, there's the word, the word addict. It, it's not derogatory. It's not meant to be derogatory yeah. in in this sense. What if they just said, Ryan, you're an addict? Well, now that I have long-term recovery, that word is associated with acceptance. But back in the day, it was associated with denial and pain. There's no way I could be an addict. What are you talking about? <laughs> I could stop anytime <laughs> I want, right. except I couldn't. I now, can stop anytime I want, right? <laughs> 
Now let me turn the tables on you, Matt Bear. Let Do we me... have to? Yeah. <laughs> Every everybody gets their turn, no, right? Oh, come on. All right, okay, let's go. <laughs> How about if I called you a bum? Have yeah. you ever been called a bum before? I mean, it's a lot of times. Unfortunately, people associate bums with people that just are are homeless, the homeless population. So. I, I've been very, very close to homeless. I never have been, but I, I was never necessarily called a bum. Um, I don't think it would have bothered me that much uh, just because I felt like uh, economic status, having a job, didn't make you a bum necessarily. So I, I, I had a sense of pretentiousness about me, mm-hmm. a sense of being better than that. So, no, it wouldn't have bothered me. And it's interesting. Ego. It's interesting how we associate socioeconomic status with some of these words. How about if I called you a drunk? Have you ever been called a drunk yes, before? Yes, and it pissed me off to no end. Now, why does the word drunk piss you off and not bum? Because drunk is what I am, and I know it. I know I'm a drunk. If you say bum, and somewhere in my disease-affected, messed-up thinking, I think, hey, I'm not a bum. You can call me that all you want. But if you call me a drunk, I know I'm that deep down, and that's going to piss me off. I, we were at a club one night, and, and I remember I was with some close friends, a couple of family members, and somebody comes up to me, a close friend, whispers in my ear, yeah, so-and-so said, Matt Bear's nothing but a drunk. And holy shit, Katie Bardador. I, I was in sense. Now, granted, I had a lot of alcohol in me already. I always did. Sure. You know, I mean, it was my late 20s. <laughs> Through two and a half years ago, I always had a lot of alcohol in my system. But for some reason, I cut that person out. I was irate, and I was just half inclined. If I probably could have walked over to the other side of the room, I probably would have done it and given them a piece of my mind. Then I would have looked like a horse's ass doing it. But it just made me mad. You don't call me a drunk. I know I'm that. How about Lush. <laughs> I, I probably, that that's one that would have made me laugh. I, I think, Lush, oh yeah, they're just kidding. That would have been, yes, that people are accepting me. I, I probably would have taken that as a term of endearment because I, I think it's funny. Again, the disease makes us things, uh, makes us think things that just aren't there. Now we can use words in and out of recovery. That's why it's important to define stigma as being really a characteristic or a character that you cast on on the disease i used in full disclosure i used the word degenerate a couple of weeks ago when i was talking about people in casinos but when, when i talk about that to you or I call you that in active alcoholism how does that word make you feel degenerate oh it, it, i mean that's one that that is a word that would have made me angry and the reason is this because again it's like bum well i can't be a degenerate i have a job Mm. i can't be a degenerate i have a house i'm a i don't like this term but i'm going to use it don't ever let me use this term again i'm a functioning alcoholic oh no i oh no i don't think it's possible i'm still worried we could do a whole episode on it but i'm a functioning alcoholic i can't be a degenerate degenerate well that's that's somebody that's addicted to drugs now, keep in mind, during this phase, you know, in my late 20s and my 30s, I'm popping pills like a madman. Mm. It's such a hypocrisy. I, I'm thinking that alcoholism is somehow better than people than doing drugs. Uh, somehow there's a higher social status there. I'm popping pills the entire time. I'm addicted. I'm going to withdrawals every month because I run out of stuff. So, you know, again, it's the thinking. It's that stigma that's hindering me from any kind of recovery, any kind of honest thinking in this case. You know, I remember Whitney Houston saying that crack is whack. It's one of her famous quotes that she used. And I think a lot of times when we think about these words, crackhead, degenerate, lust, 
alcoholic, we associate them with different socioeconomic statuses. If somebody was snorting cocaine, powder cocaine, back in the day, to me, they had money because it's expensive. An eight ball will run you between $170 and $200, you know, a, a purchase. But crack, $10 a bag, $20 a bag, alcohol, Jack Daniels versus Boone's Farm, all of these things, that's how stigmas get developed. As alcoholics and addicts, we have this insolent streak in us that, that keeps us from getting better. Whatever you tell me, I am going to reject. I don't want you to tell me anything. And if you tell me, even if it's correct, I'm going to reject it and it, reject it. And that's why these words are so important. These words, um, they, they keep these stigmas going because it, it does impede recovery. Number three, embracing a fresh outlook. It's time to feel, deal, and heal. Feel, deal, heal. Yeah, you've been, uh, you've been looking at the same scene for so long, but suddenly... Everything looks different when you give it a good shake, right? That's what it's like when we embrace a fresh outlook. I'll never Mm -hmm. forget when I picked up a year clean, my dad was sitting in the room. How cool it was for me to show my father that recovery was working. It's like wiping away the fog, Matt Bear, from a window and seeing the world with new clarity. It's a great analogy. Yeah, right? It's about letting go of the old ways of thinking and opening ourselves up to new possibilities, paths, and hopes. So let's shake it up. Let's clear away the fog, embrace the, the fresh outlook together on a journey of recovery. Another component of the fresh outlook really is education. Wouldn't you say, Matt, that we know more about the disease even six months ago, a year ago, two years ago than we did a decade ago or or two or three decades ago when my mom was pointing out what a crackhead looked like on TV? A fresh outlook is what we get every day when we see our loved ones being affected in different ways. One of the things that I'm most looking forward to on this journey with the Supporting Sobriety podcast to, is helping you get your loved ones back on track. It's a wonderful thing, and we can all use a fresh outlook. That's what recovery has given me and my family. Matt, I've gone on vacations. I've been married. I have a dream job. I've become, in a lot of ways, socially acceptable, all because me and the people around me have embraced a fresh outlook. It's a day at a time. You hear the phrase one day at a time, and really, as alcoholics uh, and addicts, and I keep separating the two, I'm never going to stop doing it. I hope I stop doing that. But we embrace the day at a time philosophy because it provides that fresh outlook for us every single day, this moment of positivity, this, uh, this moment of reset. And we also uh, get into what we call a psychic change, okay? And this is a uh, 12-step term, and I, I know a lot of people aren't familiar with what goes on in the 12-step programs, and, and there is anonymity there, and we respect that entirely. But the psychic change is a complete change in our thinking, a complete, uh, like, recomposition of our thoughts and the way we think and our attitudes towards ourselves, addiction. It's it's all very much a part of that. Uh, society is kind of progressing through a psychic change as well on its attitude towards addiction. Um. We need to see people who are deep in the drug as people, not just, uh, okay, I've done this. A lot of us have. And seeing the homeless person who's drunk or stoned and thought, what a bum. You used the word bum earlier. Yep. What a bum. Mm-hmm. And in reality, we have no idea what the individual that person is capable of when clean and sober. It, uh, these are people. We are people. And as long as we keep progressing, 
towards the alcoholic and addict, then we can start to defeat the stigma a little bit more and get ourselves into recovery. All right, Matt Bear, let's recap the list. Three ways to avoid stigmatizing. Number one, understanding the conversation has evolved because it really has education, society, the media. We've all gotten better at evolving the conversation. Number two, choosing better words. Words matter. They have power. They have meaning. Number three, embracing a fresh outlook. Here in a minute, we are going to talk with, well, a professional. You know, we we talked a lot about stigmas in the last couple of episodes. And Lindsay Bland of Eskenazi Mental Health Center is going to come on here. And she's really an expert in these stigmas and these words that perpetuate stigmas. And she's going to have a conversation with us. And we'll talk with her on the Supporting Sobriety Podcast. If you or a loved one have a problem with drugs or alcohol, Narcotics Anonymous may be able to help. We are recovering addicts who meet regularly to help each other stay clean. Anyone who feels they may have a problem is welcome in Narcotics Anonymous. And it's free. For more information, visit us at centralindianana.org. That's centralindianana.org. Or call 317-875-5459. That's 317-875-5459. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. You're listening to the Supporting Sobriety Podcast. Supporting Sobriety Podcast. Ryan Hedrick here, also Matt Bear. Uh, Thank you for joining us today. At supporting underscore pod is where you can find us on X and Insta. And today, kind enough to join us is Lindsay Bland, the manager at Sandra Eskenazi Mental Health Center Adult Addiction Services. We want to talk about... The stigmas of alcoholics and alcoholism and addiction. And I've just noticed as we move forward that there are some words we're using and maybe some language and dialogue that might reinforce those stigmas. So hopefully we can get into that just a little bit. Um, First, I think I want to ask you, is there a difference between a person who is an alcoholic and a drug addict, Lindsay, in, in your professional opinion. You know, I think that the interesting thing is that there's really no difference in the disease of addiction, right? So addiction is a disease. It hijacks a person's brain. And yeah, it may manifest in different ways for different people, or there may be different kind of like precipitating factors that lead a person um, to become addicted. But as far as like, in my opinion, is there a major difference between the two? No, I think that the disease of addiction looks very similar for somebody who's struggling with alcohol um, and just for the same as somebody struggling with um, other substances. Lindsay, you, I think you made a very good point in that the disease of addiction does hijack somebody's brain. Can you talk about how that process plays out when somebody is addicted to something, what the disease of addiction does to manifest itself in other areas of their life? I, I mean, yeah, we, you know, somebody is experiencing that, you know, quote unquote, high of addiction, right? And they're kind of chasing that for a period of time. 
it can manifest in ways of like they're going to do a lot of things to, to get that need met, just like we do things to get our needs met, right? We work so we can have income, so we can buy food and take care of our families. Um, if, if they are feeling like, hey, I need to experience that again, or I don't feel whole, or I have to feel an emotion I don't want to feel, then they're going to do things to also meet that need. And sometimes those are, you know, what the community would consider negative things to get that need met. Now, what do you say uh, what the community would consider negative things? What do you mean by that exactly? You know, I think, unfortunately, a lot of time individuals with a substance use disorder um, are labeled, you know, criminal behavior. Maybe they're labeled as individuals who are not interested in working or, um, you know, doing additional things that maybe a, a person like you or me would not do to get a need met. So that's kind of what I'm referencing. Uh, is there a difference between treating a person who suffers from alcoholism and a drug addiction? If so, what are they? You know, I think a lot of the, the therapeutic interventions are very similar. Um, what we believe in is meeting a person where they are. So every person that walks through our doors, we're going to develop an individual treatment plan for that person. Because every person that comes in comes with a different story. Something unique happened to them that led to them to where they are today. So I believe that the approach would be a little different for everyone just because we're individualizing it. And then, of course, you know, there are different medications for different um, substance use disorders. So that that part would play a factor as well. We're talking with Lindsay Blandy, manager at Sander Eskenazi Mental Health Center. And uh, Lindsay, kind enough to join us today um, w- w- with the conversation of stigma. And as some of the things as alcoholics and addicts, you know, the Ryan and I experience, you know, some of the uh, uh, misconceptions, we'll say, some of the public perception. Um, over time, have, have you seen how the public views people with substance abuse disorder? Have you, have you seen that perception change a little bit o- over the course of time? Absolutely. I mean, I've been doing this work going on 15 years at this point. And in that time, I've definitely seen a change in it, even in like, you know, insurance coverage, for example, like Medicaid expanding to covering substance use treatment. That was huge um, before a lot of people were having to pay out of pocket for these type of services. And then you look at, you know, the all the efforts the community and legislation is doing to kind of support specifically opioid treatment. Um, so I do believe that there's been a lot of progress. There's always more to make, though. I think specifically with stigma and how we talk about addiction, how we talk about people struggling with addiction, um, because I think that does prevent people sometimes from walking through the door to get help. Lindsay Bland, manager, Sandra Eskenazi Mental Health Center, Adult Addiction Services, joins the Supporting Sobriety podcast. Is there one instance where an event may have changed perception because I think you're right. I think perception is shifting to mental health being a focal point for a lot of people. But in your nearly two decades of experience, is there one driving moment that that made the world realize like this is a problem that we need to address right now? I don't know if there is one driving moment, in my opinion. I think it is multiple moments over time. I think that it is communities watching their loved ones um, pass away from overdose um, and then speaking up and advocating. I think that it is that we're seeing a lot of communities be affected by, you know, rampant substance use. And, you know, it's really easy to access. So, you know, the easier it is to access a substance, the easier it is to expose people to it sooner. It's affecting 
you know, it could affect anyone. I mean, it's no respecter of persons, right? Anybody could end up with a disease of addiction. So I don't think it is one pivotal moment. I I think that it is multiple moments over time and people are paying attention um, because it's affecting a lot more individuals. So therefore, we're seeing some change in how it's viewed. Lindsay, there are stereotypes out there, like um, um, one for me for the alcoholic is that my behavior was awful and I was lazy. Th- those stereotypes of me are true. I-, I-, I could tell you that was very much the uh, case when I was um, in active addiction. But in-, in treating the individual, the addict here, uh, wh- how do these stereotypes we have harm actually harm the process of recovery? How do they make your job harder? I think it makes our job harder because people don't, they don't access the treatment. They're afraid of what their friends or family or community might think about them. If somebody finds out that they are struggling with substance use or that they're seeking treatment for substance use, you know, um, addiction lives and breathes in isolation. A lot of times, like, you know, Mm. people hide that they're struggling with it. They're doing it alone. Um, So then if you're going in to get treatment, somebody might find out. Mm. So I think the more that we can normalize that addiction is a disease and it affects a lot of people and that treatment is okay and recovery is 100% possible, the better chance we have at being successful with what we're trying to do. I think you made a, a great point about addiction isolating people. I know I was in active addiction for 25 years and a lot of times my using at first was very much a group effort. I shared my drugs with friends and then later on in my active addiction career, it became less important for me to share with you because I wanted to keep all the drugs myself and that behavior manifested. Lindsey Bland joins us, manager, Sandra Eskenazi Mental Health Center, Adult Addiction Services, joins us on the Supporting Sobriety podcast. Lindsey, are there words that in the treatment community that perpetuate the addiction stereotypes? Oh, of course. Um, we, we do our best to not refer to a person as their disease, right? So we say a person who has a substance use disorder, a person who is struggling with alcohol use, um, someone who is struggling with opioid use. So I think labels and language is really important because you are not your disease, just like we are not any health problem that we have, right? So if I had diabetes, I'm not just the diabetic. I'm Lindsay. I'm a spouse. I'm a daughter, a sister. You know, I'm all of these things. I'm not just you know, my medical label. Um, So I do believe that words are incredibly powerful. And I think that the more that we can change the language around it, that's just going to help our fight against the stigmatizing um, things that are going on. Has addiction touched you personally? I mean, you must have had an instance of two or three in your 15-year career where it really hit home. Can you share that information with us? Sure. I mean, I have been very lucky in my life to never have myself personally struggled with it. And I don't know what to contribute that to, but I'm very grateful for that. But I've definitely had very close family members and loved ones who have struggled with it. Um, One person who passed away from it um, when we were a little bit younger. So, you know, watching that as a kid was definitely impactful. And then I think getting into this field and just watching how specifically those with substance use and specifically those with substance use who tend to be minorities were treated um, really kind of spurred me on to 
try to make a difference in this field. What's the one message about recovery you want to leave our audience with? What's the one thing you'd like to tell everybody? People that are trying to help guys like Ryan and I, uh, people like you who are trying to help the addicts and the alcoholics. I think the message would be don't give up because recovery is 100% possible. And as soon as we stop believing that, then our work is done. Just an incredible conversation today with Lindsey Bland, manager, Sandra Eskenazi Mental Health Center, Adult Addiction Services. Lindsey, God bless you. Thank you. Continue doing the very important work you're doing. And thank you for making time for the Supporting Sobriety Podcast. I had changed the locks. Didn't even know where she was living. And then one night she calls to say she's getting treatment. Can I drive? I almost hung up. But then I thought, that's my kid. I chose to put away the hurt and the fear and just see my girl. Addiction is a disease. Standing by a loved one as they fight it will test your faith, patience, and sanity. But it's possible when you see the person, not just their disease. Learn more at cbeyondtheaddiction.org. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. This is the Supporting Sobriety Podcast. All right, Matt Bear, I want to close this out by by saying, look, I can be guilty of stigmatizing the addict and the alcoholic. And I think when you make that distinction, you said you want to differentiate that. I think we need to keep that alive because that's our continuing education. We all need to give each other a break when we're stigmatizing something because I can do it driving into work to record this podcast with you. I'm in my comfortable car. I'm living a nice life. I'm in recovery. I'm talking to my sponsor on the way here. And I see somebody across the street who hasn't looked like they haven't slept for three days. And immediately I could judge them or stigmatize the same disease that I suffer with. I could project out. And I think segments like this, topics like this are important. That's why we spent two episodes about talking about stigmatizing and avoiding stigmatizing the disease of addiction because stigmatizing somebody's disease can prevent them from getting the same help that we've received and we don't want to do that. We love you and we want to see your loved ones get back on track. Yeah, we just threw out a lot of bad words. Um, (laughs) These words (laughs) that we perceive as bad words and we're like, don't say this, don't do that. Let's let's keep in mind we're all human beings here. Uh, I can continue to have these conversations in my head and I'm getting better about it but that's all I can ask out of myself is to just get better and I hope you guys are doing the same you're the people behind the people you're the miracle as we all are and even if you use these words it it doesn't make you a bad person we're just trying to find the best route for everybody who needs recovery to get into it I mean I mean, I said it earlier, alcoholic, addict, alcohol. I mean, I'm probably still going to keep doing that just out of habit. And if I do, I'm not going to beat myself up about it because I know where it's coming from. It's coming from my heart. And I I mean the best possible way about it. I'm not trying to be condescending or degrade somebody else. Oh, if we have empathy in mind as we go forward, all these things 
really going to take care of themselves, including involving the conversation about stigma and recovery. You can find us on social media, X Instagram at sobriety underscore pod. That's at sobriety underscore pod. And if you need a meeting, aa.intergroup.org forward slash meetings. The suicide prevention hotline is open 24 hours a day. That number, 1-800-273-8255. And of course, Al-Anon is a wonderful organization with great help. Al-Anon.org. Like us and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Next episode of Supporting Sobriety, we are going to talk to a mother who has recently lost a child to fentanyl overdose. And she has a very difficult story to listen to, but we think it's it's really going to help you guys out, the people behind the people, the people behind us, the alcoholics and the addicts. See, I did it again. Uh, we're going to talk to April Rhodes in the very next episode. We look forward to that. Uh, Ryan, great talking with you, man. Love you, brother. I love you too, brother. When there's breath, there's hope. Thank you for listening to the Supporting Sobriety Podcast. 